A word of warning. Today we're chatting about the legend of Vox Machina and things are bound to get a little saucy. Make sure you've watched through season two, episode three. I'm sure we'll talk about season one to a certain extent as well, but you should watch that before you watch season two. Welcome to Words and Whiskey Short Pours, a mostly monthly podcast where we have a fun time discussing fictional worlds and the people that create them, all while boozing just a little bit. My name is Cross, and today I'm joined by PJ and a gaggle of guests as we are about to embark and chat about the mythical, magical, and the mighty Vox Machina. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> it's your part, PJ. You gotta go. No, no, I, was, I wasn't reading. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I think there's a lag. So today <laughs> oh, we no. are joined with our party members and our friends. We all collectively host a podcast and a live play D and D game called Catacomb Parties: The Tales of Kana. Yeah. 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 So, and uh, we're we're here to talk about the newly released season 2 of Critical Roles: The Legend of Vox Machina presented by Mr. Baby Bezos. <laughs> the one and the Thanks only. Daddy Baby Daddy Baby Bezos. <laughs> Thanks for picking it up, you know? Like picking it up and running with it. We're really appreciative. <laughs> Somebody had to, so I guess happy it's for job, you. but someone's got to do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of the name of the game. Yeah, so why don't we go around? For people who don't know, I mean, we've had Mathar on the show before. We haven't had Leslie or Josh on. And for people who haven't listened to Tales of Kana, maybe just like a brief introduction, who you are, what you like. And maybe this is where we'll just stick in experience with Critical Role and The Legend of Vox Machina. Makes a good, good enough sense. Yeah. Well, I came up with the idea for Critical Role back in... <laughs> <laughs> like 2012 at least i mean that was before the yeah, show still right i just on those royalties. Yeah. trying to still stake waiting. my claim now so that later <laughs> when i make a case for it it'll be like i've been saying this for years <laughs> pity laughs pity laughs and who are you dear <laughs> Dear random voice. Dear random voice. Hi, I'm Mathar. I'm the DM for Catacomb Party. I run the Tales of Kana, at least this campaign. I may not always, but for now, I am in the hot seat coming up with all the uh, the lore. And boy, do I come up with a lot of lore. What else do I say about myself, Crossland? Boy, I, do we shit on it. <laughs> Sometimes. My, I'm a podcast producer by trade, and my experience with Critical Role is in hearing Josh talk about it, basically. <laughs> Just the overwhelming, it's impossible to ignore if you're in the tabletop role-playing game space at all. It's impossible to ignore their influence. I have played through, you know, read through their source books, used material in my own games, and like, as they're part of the zeitgeist, so I've absorbed that. But as far as the show itself, I've watched a few one-shots. I've watched... You know, I watched the live thing they did with like, you know, the search for Grog. I, I had no context for that, but thought it was really cool. And I tried to get into season three. I was like, this is it. This is my point. Getting into campaign three. And I made it like an episode and a half in and I fell off. I just can't do the runtime. But I watched season one of Legend of Vox Machina and it was one of my favorite things I watched last year. So 
I know it's good. I just can't hang with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. That's part of the reason that we love this. So like, it's it's a great entry point. I think for a that lot is going to be my perspective the for sure. So I'm I'm coming at it all fresh. I mean, everything to me is for the first time. I I I really don't know what happens in the first campaign. It hasn't been spoiled. So when I watched the first season, I was like, wow, I can't believe. I could see the hallmarks, but I was like, I can't believe that they turned their campaign into this amazing piece of art it's so wonderful and so condensed i'm sure yeah super rad and i'm really excited to be here dope let's kick it to leslie all right hello everybody i'm leslie and i am a player in catacomb parties tales of kana i've been playing D for like about it's like five or six years at home and then was very honored to join this campaign and very honored to be Recording this lovely little thing with we lovely little people. Ones. So it's very exciting. <laughs> My experience with, with Critical Role, we keep talking about the infamous Josh. He will be introduced shortly, but he introduced me to Critical Role as well as my older brother who got me into Dungeons and Dragons initially. And I've just seen whatever episode Josh has been watching on the on Twitch. So very sporadic. He got into it in season or in campaign two, so that's where I started like hopping in and watching everything so i'm going in completely blind to campaign one or rather i'm going in completely blind to legend of vox machina besides what josh has told me and what i've seen on the internet like old clips of like characters having moments and stuff really cool so very excited to see what unfolds i'm like wow there's dragons in this (laughs) so cool i can't (laughs) wait to see what happens in season two (laughs) it's a pretty safe assumption but i was still safe assumption Right. It's like this is Dungeons and Dragons after there all. There is no it's guarantee, a little bit, right? Yeah. right now, it takes a while to see dragons in campaigns sometimes. So That's good good point. Yeah, and I guess they, really they did start on Pathfinder. Yeah. A uh, little plug. Too. If you're that's interested good. in dragons and campaigns and you don't want to wait a long time to see them, check out The Tales of Kana by Catacomb Party. Yes, I definitely, you know, it's not as though we're not going to be pitching that constantly throughout this entire thing. We hang out every other week and do this and we release episodes roughly every other week or so of, you know, I I love Critical Role dearly, but I love our little show so much more. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here first. Guaranteed experiences with dragons from episode one. Look, (laughs) if there's one thing I know about Catacomb Party's Tales of Kana 100% 100% of every single person in the world will agree it's better than Critical Role. I mean, that's just... True fact. That's fact. for sure. Survey says. That's a fact. fact. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's kick it to Josh. Josh, say, introduce yourself. You've already... <laughs> yeah, say words. Here, but, you know, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, say words. I'm, I'm Josh, Josh Ramsey. I am the, the one and only Josh that was mentioned multiple times already. I'm super into Critical Role. I started on right around whenever they started Campaign 2, watched all of that. Went back, watched all of almost all of campaign one. I'm like six episodes from the finale. And then I'm all caught up on campaign three. I've kept up with all the one shots. I own a lot of Mert. Yeah. And I've watched season one of Legend of Vox Machina like four times because it's great. And uh, yeah, I'm also in that that show, Tales of Kana. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I can't wait. I honestly like you're you guys cross PJ. You're lucky I like you because like waiting an extra day. 
after these <laughs> dropped was rough on me. Like I'm an obsessive person and I'm obsessed I, with Critical Role. I so thought about that hard. last night. I was like, whoa, Josh <laughs> isn't watching this on release day. Like I, I just, should be, it blew my mind to think I about. I should be on my third watch right now. And- yeah, you really should. <laughs> I know Josh <laughs> so very well. And I was just, it occurred to me in the middle, like I didn't care at all because I hardly ever watch things like when they drop. So like was it was nothing for me, but then it was like, Oh shit! This is not Josh's mo. <laughs> no, no, I'm a I'm a midnight release kind of guy. You know? Yeah, this is a lot about how excited Josh is to be here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. wait, I, it occurs to me that we don't really need to watch it now. Like we could just. It might be a more interesting show to have Josh give us his yeah, predictions for happen. like what's in right here's what they're going to keep in here's how they're going to do it walk well, us through the if, first three episodes and then we'll compare i think if anyone's no. going to make those predictions it would be pj because pj how many times did you say you've seen all of campaign one which is more hours than all of naruto by the way <laughs> <laughs> probably one piece as well like yeah i think in mind i have so I said watched, but for the most part, I didn't watch campaign one, but it's like I, people were I like, listen you to didn't it. read. That's an audio book. No, you still read it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I have listened through it entirely. I believe three times I've, I've done campaign two twice and I have not yet caught up on campaign three. I'm still like 15 episodes back. Are you one of those people that like waits until it all comes out and then you like binge it three times? Like, is no, I was really like, I loved watching them live. It's just, I'm the old man that shakes his fist at the cloud, I guess, when it comes to the (laughs) changes in the, in the structure and the way that they've been. Oh, good. uh, We need one of those doing things. So (laughs) old man yells at cloud. I just checked and it's 447 hours. The, the runtime of the runtime of campaign one. Just but I also one. listen to it at two x. Okay, okay. Nice. so okay. Nice. so it's like so half only six hundred hours. So Don't yeah. worry, six hundred hours of listening hours. to campaign one specifically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> part of, part of the reason that like I haven't gone back and watched it is because I look at that hour count and I just flinch at all of the other things that I could be doing, listening to or otherwise, when I can read a wiki to absorb it, if it's not going to be to the same quality standard. So that's like my experience with it has been like, I'm just going to take the high notes in that I need for campaign two and three, enjoy campaign two slowly over a couple of years and basically keep up with campaign three. I'm a couple of episodes behind still, but that's what I love about this show though. I mean, like I've had, I have friends who have been trying to get into critical role for like five years that I played D and D with. And they like refused. They would not do it. Maybe they'd watch like half of an episode I'd show them or something, trying to get them into it, and they'd be like, "It's just not for me." And after season one of Legend of Vox Machina, both of these specific friends I'm referring to are completely caught up on Campaign Three, making their way through Campaign One. One of them's almost caught up to me in Campaign One, like, and that's all within like the last year. So this show is great because it like it it removes the barrier of entry a little bit and if you just don't have the time commitment or you just don't like that long form just wait for the show man you'll you'll still get get the story that's what i'm all about i'm like let me pump this up because i want to see what happens but i'm never gonna (laughs) do it like if i make it through campaign two it'll be like on my deathbed right like i am i am terrible (laughs) at horror games i'm terrified i'm a little baby i'm so happy i get to watch the last of us now because like i was never gonna play (laughs) oh my god dude that's a whole nother podcast (laughs) yeah true true next time that's a great whiskey short pours (laughs) yes the last of us 
Yeah. No, we're, we're super excited. So thanks for a little bit of background for introducing ourselves. Just to kind of outlay the plan for this, I think our plan basically is to try to cover these weekly and release the episodes effectively weekly talking about them as often as possible with as many of you as we can. I know that I think we're going to lose PJ for one week because of a travel trip. Maybe not. We'll see if we can make that work um, and whatnot. So schedule allowing. We'll we'll do what we can to get these out basically the the week following to cover them. And so well, the other we could record on Fridays. So I don't have to. Well, we could record that. in theory on night the off <laughs> Thursdays or the Friday or Saturday. Oh, actually, you've got date night Nathar, so that doesn't work. We can figure you out got a, a date time. night coming uh, up. I just don't want to wait to watch the episodes because I'm impatient. No, I, I feel I feel <laughs> that. I mean, I feel like, that. It's like twelve hours after it comes out. Twelve hours <laughs> is a okay. lifetime. Twitter conversation. He said. He said You're he right. doesn't wanna. I'm I don't <laughs> wanna, Leslie. Stumps my feet. I don't wanna. Yeah, I he doesn't that. wanna. Uh, so basically, our our unique kind of show that we're we're gonna do, and we'll see if we stick with it throughout the entire format to the point of like maybe it doesn't work, and we watch them at different times, and then we come back and talk about them. We'll figure it out, but. For this one, at the very least, and likely the ones going forward, we're basically going to be watching the episodes one at a time and having an immediate fresh take right afterwards. So basically, we'll transition to music. We're going to go watch it, and then we'll transition back. And you won't be the wiser of the 20 minutes that we spent watching the episode, but we'll basically just jump into it with a summary. And uh, yeah, it's basically the idea. Fresh takes. Immediate. Very little prep. You know, it's kind of kind of the name of the game. Yeah, I'm bad at remembering let's details, see. so let's see what happens. You will know. <laughs> we'll, we'll sound significantly <laughs> older. Yep. Wiser. We come back, we're all crying. PJ. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? You're about to hear five people go through a life-changing experience. We are about to forge a bond that will be unbroken <laughs> by time to the end space. of time. Everybody has by time extra space. large tabs of acid at the ready. <laughs> yep. Yes. Oh, yeah, we're all <laughs> dropping yep. some quaaludes and then we're just dying. <laughs> Whoa, was I not supposed to get baked I mean, out of my mind for this? <laughs> we will be progressively drinking throughout this, I assume. Right? We haven't yeah, talked about true. what yes. we're drinking. Oh, yes, that, that is exactly Leslie. After? Lovely transition. Oh, yeah. Thank you. That, that, that's me. <laughs> and Nailed before it. we go too much further, you know, all told, what are we drinking today? Um, PJ, I'll have you start as an example for everyone else, since not everyone has been on the show before, and Mathar hasn't been on for like a year or something like that, so they could probably use a refresher. So, I did not make a cocktail, so this is... Ow, you're not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> but I have Hazy IPA from Fair State Brewing Company called Spiritfowl. It is delicious, it's beautiful, and I love it. And... It was originally like a one-off and they have started doing it a little bit more regularly, but full disclosure, I am a member at that co-op. So I guess <laughs> <laughs> there is a story. There is a financial, financial burdens, but pairing <laughs> that I have chili roasted pistachios. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, we're, we're saying what Snack we're ready. Now. This nice. this is the strangest intro that PJ has ever done to this. This as a is model. a brunch it's okay episode right here. It's okay if you're right nervous, here. PJ. It's okay. <laughs> All right. Seriously though, if you like spicy nuts, we're gonna see some scandal spicy nuts in a moment here. Chili roasted pistachios are very very good. <laughs> I find nice. all nuts spicy. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> cool. 
Well, the intro cocktail explanation, I'm having a drink that I'm calling the kitchen sink. I wanted to make an improved whiskey cocktail, basically, which is like lemon, maraschino, an absinthe rinse, a rye generally. And I was like, ooh, that's really good. And then I accidentally poured green chartreuse instead of maraschino. And so I was like, why don't I just do all of the cordials that I have and see how that goes at the ratios that they're supposed to be? And you know what? Throwing the kitchen sink at it was pretty damn good. It's very tasty. I swapped the lemon peel for orange just because. And uh, yeah. It's great. Amazing. Highly recommend. I am following that up with a beer from Bill's Back Porch called Profusion 3. It's a hazy IPA with a dolphin with laser beam eyes. Hell oh, yeah. I like that. I'm glad that yeah. we're all hazy While, IPA people. I like that. I mean, I'm a West Coast guy. Also all you know, emo people. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Is there a correlation? <laughs> we'll find out. Probably. So kick it to Mathar. What are you drinking this afternoon? All right. So I started off this morning really craving a Bloody Mary. And I said, Mm -hmm. I am going to dive into my cocktail codex from Death & Co. And I am going to get the ingredients for their Bloody Mary mix. And I am—I think it's Normandy Club's Bloody Mary mix, which is another place they own. And I'm going to, I'm going to do it from scratch and I'm going to really just savor myself, uh, a glass of Bloody Mary and uh, use up the rest of my Tito's that did not pan out. So because of time. So then I said, well, I'm going to go get Bloody Mary mix. And I went and uh, the place I went doesn't stock it anymore. So then I went to another place and they don't have it either. So I came home and said, what can I make with what I got? Kind of a kitchen sink situation. I saw a bottle of Campari and I thought maybe like a bicicleta, like some sort of like very fresh, brunchy kind of seltzer and Campari. And so I threw in an ounce of Campari with an ounce of that vodka I mentioned. Also free fresh squeezed clementines with a little bit of grenadine and topped it with seltzer and it is so bad that i am going to switch to this stone hazy ipa because (laughs) i can't do it amazing oh my god that was a roller coaster it's so bad y'all i don't know if y'all saw me trying to take a sip of it during that intro but it is so bad i even put it in my beautiful kindred mug oh yeah uh, hell yeah yeah, I got a beautiful mug here from San Diego. I wish they still had and that one. It is just, it is, it, it retained no parts of the ingredients that I really, really <laughs> like. It, 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 it retained none of its inherent value. It is less than the sum of its parts. It is so <laughs> wow. So we had one kitchen sink work and the other one didn't. Okay. No. <laughs> Big fail. Big fail. So stone hazy. Thank God for these hazies, which I have to tell you guys another little anecdote. When I picked these up this morning, I also forgot my ID. So as I was (gasps) in the checkout, I said, ah, shit, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to be able to pay for those because I forgot my ID. The woman laughed in my face and said, give me your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) I am officially an old. That is the first time that has ever happened to me. And it, it kind of felt nice. Yeah. Nice. Like, <laughs> yeah. It. You know I'm what? Into I, can, it. I can start yelling at kids to get off my lawn. That's Ooh, right. That I can be old man yells at cloud. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a yes. difference of location, but I had those experiences when I was like 19. <laughs> Well, you're also like twelve feet tall. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, you're also a giant. So yeah, 
it wasn't that they thought you were old enough. It's just they didn't think they could stop you if they tried. They knew better. Like, well, I'd rather this get is going to be somebody else's up, problem. So, yeah, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want a trip to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> but effectively, we had a kitchen sink and a garbage disposal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Pretty much. That's right. Yeah. Leslie, what so, are you? Yeah, Josh, can you grab the the bottle? I, I didn't see. Oh, what sure. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I just poured it. <laughs> I have no idea, but it's <laughs> one of these. I don't know. <laughs> it tastes. Good. I just trust him. It is Murphy Good North Coast Sauvignon Blanc. We'll just cut that Murf- out. Once you Murphy say it. Good. Murphy Good. That's what you said. <laughs> Murphy Good West Coast Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Sorry, my North Coast Sauvignon Blanc. I know you. I know we just said it three times, but I'm going to write it down. Mm-hmm. Murphy Good. That's G O O D E. North Coast. Writing the other Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> oh God. She was writing Murphy Coast Good Blanc. Shut up. <laughs> I, good I hate blanc. that you can see me. I'm so shit at writing. Okay. I, I would Murphy love to good. say okay. with confidence so one that thing we'll cut shit all at. of this out, but we recently released an episode where our guest coughed and then Crossland <laughs> said, don't worry, we'll cut out all the coughs. And you didn't cut it? No. What? <laughs> and, and when I got that note back, I was like, I trusted you and you betrayed me. <laughs> How embarrassing. <laughs> All right. So, uh, well, to be fair, I say I'll cut things all the time, and I have no intention of cutting them. I'm like, oh yeah, we'll just cut that out. No, we, we totally no left intention. one of those in in a recent episode of Catacomb Party. Yeah, yeah. makes it fun. Makes it all right. True. So, <clears throat> today I am drinking a very delicious Savion Blanc. It's Murphy Good North Coast. It's the brand. It's light and crisp and dry, just how I like it. Hmm. And that's where the sponsor, nice. like, like, like the the mid credits, like sponsor <laughs> stinger drops in right there. So go to your local Murphy store and pick Good. up a great bottle of Murphy. This Good episode North Coast brought Long. to you by Murphy Coast Good It's Long. not great. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. It's good. Murphy or something. Good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not just great. It's good. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just great. It's what good. about you, Josh? So. I, with the ingredients I had, made as close as I could. <laughs> it's technically a, a, what is it called? Hold up. <laughs> it, is technically we'll a dirty, it is technically a dirty 50 martini because I didn't have Conalilit, but I mm. tried to make a Vesper martini oh. as a little reference to the town in which our campaign on Catacomb Party Tales of Kana takes place in season one. Check it out on Excellent. all major streaming platforms. All major streaming platforms. Uh, <laughs> down below in the YouTube comments. I don't know when this D&D podcast comes out, wine. but uh, the finale is about to release or has just released one of the two. Yeah, you can listen so this to is you coming out the whole week. season. And it is <laughs> the finale is about to release. <laughs> 400 hours. No. It is at most maybe 20. So It's like 10. With amazing sound it. design by our lovely DMFR. Hey, with yes. significant amounts of editing by Cross and some editing by PJ and myself. And beautiful artwork <laughs> by yours. <And> <laughs> yeah. Suffice it to yes. say, we're, we're, we're a cool bunch. We got a lot of stuff yes. going on. It's been very so fun. So the Vesper Martini, as invented and made famous by James Bond Casino Royale, named after a fictional character, Vesper. 
Mm-hmm. Really? Yep. It's a, Are you it's a Bond fan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I think like that's the right answer response. to that question yeah. in general. Half gin, half vodka should be Kana Lillette, which also was funny because Kana. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, but I didn't have that. So it's just half half Tito's, half Roku gin. I wanted it extra dirty, so it's got some olive juice in there. Just a rinse of dry vermouth with like a little bit left pooling at the bottom. And then a lemon twist and two pimento cherries. I mean, olives, not cherries. <laughs> pimento cherries. That would be disgusting. Cheese cherries. I gotta try got to try some pimento cheese. <laughs> okay, that you should Ew. cut. It's just pimento cherries. And just every listener is like frantically like, what the fuck are these? They're Googling it. They're like, I've never heard of pimento cherries. Yeah, I make them myself. <laughs> I just core some cherries. I put some cherries and then scoop that pimento I right on it. squeeze blue cheese right in it. I don't even get fresh pimentos, man. Right? I just scoop them out of the olives and put them right into the cherries. <laughs> and then right. I just let them. Right, I dump right. out the olives, right. but I save the olive juice. I put the cherries back in it. Well, technically, they're pimento chino. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, so you got to do half a jar of olive juice, half a jar of maraschino liqueur. You shake that shit up and you yeah, put the cherries in there. That's what we and call what else you'll southern. get in Tales of Kana is a thousand bits <laughs> so with no So many bits. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's mostly bits. I hope you weren't it's not just for dirty, a story. It's filthy. Yeah. So this is a filthy Vesper, is what I'm calling it. All right. Well, that is a great point for us to segue just into the general season summary of the show. PJ, we'll have you read that for everyone and then we'll go to the first episode. All right. All right. This is where you're going to do all the really heavy sound design, right? Where you get like the, the womp sound. Here, I'll, do, I mean, I'll, I'll just take care of it. We could do the War of the Worlds sound beneath you, yeah. It's just the, the ending scene I don't know if that's exactly it, but it's close enough. Sounds right. Honestly transition done cross <laughs> at this rate you might want to just call your brother and say sorry yeah no, i'm saying i'm gonna just meet you downtown i am not going to this is way more important than you bud okay after saving then? the realm from evil and destruction at the hands of the most terrifying power couple in exandria vox machina vox machina is faced with saving the world once again this time from a sinister group of dragons known as the Chroma Conclave. Was that good enough? Dun, dun, dun. Dun. That it was, sounded like half squawk. movie guy and half Marge Simpson. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going for. Yeah. yeah. yeah perfect. <laughs> Very evocative. All right. Well, we will see you on the other side for episode one. Well, we're back with episode one, and I know that we all have a lot of reactions, but before we go too far, because I know how hard it is to turn the ship around once we start sailing in a direction, Josh, if you could read our summary, that'd be great. Oh, God damn. I should have been ready for that. Here we go. Hold up. Hold up. Now I'm ready. I got this. <clears throat> should it also be like Marge Simpson movie guy? Or Absolutely. No, we'll just go full movie guy. Um, Vox Machina. Yep, there we go. Vox Machina's victorious return home to Amon is cut short by the arrival of ancient dragons, the Chroma Conclave. 
Despite Vox Machina's best efforts, the dragons lay waste to the city, forcing the team to find a way to escape. Hey, that's it. All right. Yeah. What, what, <laughs> what do we think? Where, where are we at? How do we? F- I misunderstood. I thought we were watching The Legend of Korra, oh, and I don't think I'm allowed Very to watch different. things over TVPG. <laughs> so this was. <laughs> You know, I was confused for the first half, but I figured out it wasn't right somewhere along the way. It was the wrong elements. Like, you didn't get it right away? I'm like, well, there's still four elements. They're just different. Um, I heard a, I heard a dirty word in this podcast. Uh, my, Fuck. My Bob doesn't allow me to listen to watch stuff that has those kinds of bad languages in them. And so I had to turn it off. But I'm going to do my best to keep up. Wasn't yeah, it, oh fuck! Leslie? Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Mather. Yeah, the the name of the game is uh, like this episode. I adored for many reasons. I truly didn't expect, and like again, you know, my experience with it with uh, Legend of Vox Machina. Like I, I kind of know the bigger beats. I didn't realize to what extent the destruction of a mon was, and it is extensive and in it, like absolutely bonkers. For a fictional depiction. Like, I did not expect it to go on as long and as, like, crazy as it was. It's the whole episode, essentially. Like, it's just the town being erased from the planet. Yeah, I remember it it doesn't even take that long in game. And, like, combat takes forever Mm. in a game. But I remember watching it, like, Matt's just kind of like, yeah. And then he blows up the clouds up. And they're like, the... Which part? He's like, the clouds up. Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of those moments where you see players be like, they've beat everything that's been thrown at them up to this point. And it's the one moment where you see like, should we run? Should we we maybe not? Should we maybe not be here? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And holy shit, I know we'll dive into more specifics, but I have always... Like, I like fire-breathing dragons, right? Always love. The mechanic is cool in D&D that there's, like, these ones breathe fire, these ones are ice, these ones are acid, these ones are poison. But, like, visualizing it was always, like, fire seemed really cool. All the other ones were, like, eh. It was so sick to see them visualized so brutally. Like... Oh, yeah. My favorite Dude. thing, what always seemed like the the least brutal of the dragon attack types, which is ice, it, like, freezes you. You know, but the fact that they didn't just freeze, they like exploded inside of the ice. Like it was like just shards yeah. of ice through the, oh my God. Horrible brutal. way to go. Yeah. 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 No, to, to that point, I, the first, oh shit moment for me was when the king dies in that cloud mm-hmm. of poison. I was like, I literally sat up and said, what the fuck? <laughs> While his wife and children watch. Oh no. <laughs> I didn't mean yeah. to take it back. Take it back. Brutal. The one thing that's like a step down from the campaign itself. And I mean, like, I think it's pretty clear we're we're kind of. Spoilers for the campaign are basically the same as spoilers for the show. More or less, like it's created by the same people. There, there are changes, yep. obviously, but like you're you're going to see the same things. The courtyard. Of their keep where they face off with that white dragon is so fucking brutal yeah in the campaign and they really kind of glanced over that a little bit i for they're they're really not pulling many punches but i could understand pulling those ones because it's like 
two hours of combat where Matt just describes like civilians and children dying. Yeah. And the, so that's, that's interesting. So I can imagine it being brutal, but part of the reason that this episode struck me as brutal is because all of the shots of the scenery being destroyed were houses. Like it was consistently like, here are all of the people's lives of whom are being obliterated in this moment. Not even just like focusing on people running in the streets, but here are miscellaneous buildings of people that are no doubt filled with people that have no idea what's going on. And they're just gone. And for me, like that was shocking. I, I can imagine like a scene like that happening in a courtyard like that that can make it make maybe feel more intimate. But for me, this was kind of like watching a nuclear explosion go off and watching the houses dissolve. Just I mean, being, the like, action with that like, unfolds so just like immediately, right? And so, and w- without like without respite, right? You're just like just hit after right. blow after blow after blow. Right, keep uh, going. I'm just gonna step away for a second. It actually, oh, well, wait, this next question is for Josh. Well, I mean, Josh and PJ. Yeah. So while while we're waiting for Josh to get back, um, the other thing that is a little bit of a departure, you see right at the end that that sort of crater and the volcanic looking like magma that's coming up from, from where Thordak is sitting. That develops over time in the show as that cloud top district is physically becoming Thordak's lair. So it happens very, very quickly here, almost instantly, but that's, that's something that progresses, but Maybe still the destruction is amazing. Oh, of course. Like it, it will, yeah. it will progress. So that brings up more, a really sure, interesting but, question, PJ, because uh, as someone who has not observed the first campaign, uh, the beats of it, the play, the, 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 the decisions on behalf of the characters, how much of, this I, I would say season one up till now like how much of this show especially we'll focus on this episode uh, how much of this is how it went down in the campaign like is, is all of this storytelling based on the decisions and the dice rolls of the campaign or did they kind of like it's hard to tell with this one because it's all of the combat and all of the running and everything just kind of mashed together they spend probably four or five episodes. So probably so, close to 20 hours in Iman. Yeah. After the arrival of the dragons. Also so, an interesting point on there too. The show jumps from Whitestone directly to the Chroma Conclave arriving. There's some, I'm going to wait and say that again after my dog isn't barking, jump straight from Whitestone to Iman. Like right after the Briarwoods, right to the Chroma Conclave. But there's like a whole arc that is very important to certain characters' storylines later on down the road that happens in the middle. So I'm like, where are they going to put that? So if, in, in the most spoiler free way I could say it, where only people that know the campaign would understand, but when are we going to meet Dr. Dranzel and when are we going to meet Kaylee? Because that didn't happen here. And that is incredibly important. So they are shuffling things from the campaign and changing little things. But I would say the overall spirit of it is very in line with their dice rules right. and what they chose to do. Like every story beat that happened there did happen. Yeah, like I wondered, yeah. like specifically Grog attacks the dragon, axe breaks. Did did Grog lose his axe like in the campaign? Did that happen? Or was that just like a detail that they threw in? They threw it in, but Grog does stop using his axe right about now as yep. he switches over to Craven Edge. So, Okay. 
So that they just sense. flavored that in a way where it's like consistent exactly. with the decision making. Uh, it was just a fun, fun opportunity. Stuff. I'm sure it was just like a failed role against the dragon. Yes, exactly. And they're like, oh, we could turn that into a fun reason for you there, to switch to a new one. There's weapon. fun things like that as well. Like I do remember, I don't know if it was specifically in the dragon attack, but conversations where like they're clearly in like fancy clothes or like maybe at a bathhouse or something and combat would break out immediately after that. And Pike would be like, oh, my AC is this. And Matt's like, when did you have time to don your armor? And then they'd kind of argue and Matt would be like, all right, fine, you're wearing it. <laughs> so it was fun to see her like in her fancy clothes and then just magically wearing her armor. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll have to watch it again. I did not pick up on that. That's great. Yeah, just like it flashes gold and then she's wearing her armor and it's like, you know, the DM said fine. <laughs> yeah, I actually really like that a lot. <laughs> I think something important. I think something important for us, too, that don't really know the specific details is if something is really important, don't ruin it for us. Oh, on the of other course. side of this. OK, I just wanted to, um, you know, I would say us, a fun tease, a fun yeah. tease. So the broom, the broom's not an important thing. It's just a fun item of some sort. That they get way later in the campaign from a guest character that's played by Chris Hardwick. And apparently none of them enjoyed that. <laughs> it was like a completely different type of D&D that Chris Hardwick is used to playing. Very like, mm. very jokey and not as like, oh, it's D&D. And so I was like, well, they're definitely not going to put his weird ass character in the show. How are they going to get the broom? So they just steal it from Gilmore's and I'm sure it'll come up later. Uh-huh. But uh, one interesting point, a little tease that I'm only going to bring up because a perceptive eye who has no clue that this ever was a campaign still could have picked up on this. There were only three dragons at the end talking. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. I was, I, I, I literally wrote down like, wait, did they kill a dragon? And I didn't see it. Like what happened? No. Did no. one of them take off searching for them? Like, I don't, it seemed like a very so obvious like, choice. Theory hour, right? The acid is, one is Umbrasil, played by Matt Mercer, and that's the one yeah. that was tasked with going after them. So that Umbrasil from Thordak, so it was in the was there. So yeah, final three that flew off. The Rysagal, right? Yeah, Rysagal is uh, missing. Rishon, Rishon, Rishon. Sorry, yeah, Rysagal is the brand new dragon in the new World of Warcraft expansion. Don't ask why <laughs> I remember that all of a sudden. I just did. So Rishon, Rishon, I'm okay. So like, there's there's this part of me. That like I don't know the the I know the high level details again of campaign one. I'm pretty sure I don't know if you guys were all suspicious of this. The rest of you of whom don't know, but that kid with the eyes that like made contact with Grog. Pretty sure that's. I'm pretty sure that's Rishon. It's probably. Who's to say? It's probably Rishon. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Right. Yeah, because he's like, oh, oh, whoa. It's got to be whoa, right. vibrant whoa. green eyes. Yeah. Oh with my the really god! Really vibrant green eyes. <laughs> I had yeah. to have gotten it right. I had to have gotten it right. That Dude, makes me feel good. Vibrant right. green eyes. They spent a lot of Fucking time yeah. focusing on Raishan's eyes, yeah. even since. Oh campaign yeah, one. yeah, 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 mm. yeah. You're supposed to well, be willing to get it. Maybe if you're it's paying really close attention. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah, no. Okay, I picked up on other things, but that makes so much sense. Well, I didn't connect it at the end. If I'd watched it a second time, I feel like I would have noticed it. Mm-hmm. But like, th- yeah, that's great. That's fucking brutal. Fantastic. Fresh rea- I know we got to go because we have two more of these things no, to no, go we through. Got, and we conversation. want like twenty five minutes. So uh, an episode is basically my book. So we're at thirteen. We're good. Sweet. Um, All right. Well, wait. Well, no, 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 we got. Time. I have. I have one yeah. more question that I want to ask. Um, very yeah. important. They mentioned Marquette in this yep. episode and i guess i'm wondering was marquette actually did it exist in campaign one? Oh yeah or is this a yeah. detail really they go to marquette, Matt had marquette one. that that's, far back yeah, that's where yeah. gilmore's from 
the Gilmore's from Marquette. They travel to Marquette a few times in campaign one. Wild Mount, which is campaign two oh. setting, is mentioned frequently. They go to Wild Mount very briefly. Yeah, Matt had a, a world. I mean, in, in the sense of like he had the ideas and the names. And then he fleshes out right. the specifics as they go places. But it's it's impressive the scale, even in campaign one, that was already presented. Okay. I mean, I think that's really fascinating because I was thinking, like, if, if we weren't talking about this, I would have been thinking, oh, well, Marquette's the campaign three setting. So, sure is, he, yeah. you know, they just added that back into the show now that they know it exists, you know? Right. No, yeah. In fact, whenever Kudos, Matt. campaign three was announced to be in Marquette, a lot of people were like, Oh, hell yeah, because we've only seen that one city in Marquette, you know, like, so. Right. Okay, so is the council, like, dead? There were so many rocks that fell on top of them, like, but we didn't totally see their dead bodies, so I don't know. That also makes me think of the part where Scanlan, Scanlan was like, oh, like, he's not the sovereign anymore, whatever. And I was like, yeah, fuck that guy. And then when he died, I was like, wait, no, not that guy. <laughs> Did they give the mage who protected the king's family and like the other council members, did they give that mage a name? Yeah, I, so I she's in the first season of, of Decent Amount. Yeah. That is Lady Allura Visorin. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, La- Allura and Lady Kima, the like dwarf paladin, I believe, that mm-hmm. like hits the wall, the lightning bolt goes up at the Black Dragon, played by St- Stephanie Beatrice. They're together and it's cute. Aww. Yeah. Aww. Nice. I love queer relationships in media. Yay. <laughs> True. <laughs> Represent. I, I have this note. I, I took note. I took like I always take notes when I watch these for this reason. But like one of the things that hit me, there were two different moments. One is mostly a meme and I loved it. But the ballista shooting at the dragons and the dragons being like, what the fuck? This doesn't matter. Clearly a poke at Game of Thrones. It was beautiful. I oh, loved yeah. it. I'm like oh, yeah. you can't kill a fucking <laughs> dragon with a ballista. What the fuck is that shit? <laughs> so but also <laughs> But also, yeah. like, Ballista are actually in the campaign. Oh. Only a little bit in this beginning part, but I think it's mentioned that it just has straight up no effect. But mm. there's, a there's like, a whole thing where, like, they try and do a montage to fix up trebuchets and ballistas later mm. on. And then Matt, like, cuts them off before the montage starts, and they're all sad because they were, like, mid-beginning a montage. And I really hope if they get to that scene in the show, if that's there, a montage does start and then get cut off. That would be very, yeah. very nice <laughs> for me. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, how far, <laughs> how far into it. campaign one does this all happen? Like, is this like a hundred hours in, like this of a four hundred hour around campaign? Around the the late thirties, early forties episode. Really? Numbers. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, but I mean, so camp- they're covering a lot of ground. Season in one, early- it starts like twenty seven episodes in. They skip like the first twenty seven episodes. Oh, right. Those are yeah. the four times. Yeah, that's the we don't talk about those. <laughs> <laughs> um. A different party. A different Google time. it. Yeah, basically, <laughs> Matt Mercer is really into astrology, and uh, so if you want to know more about that, just Google Critical Role Orion, and you'll get everything you need to know about that. Um, <laughs> Genius. And, yeah, no, but shit's great. Should we make predictions? <laughs> yes, I think this is a great spot for that. Oh, the the other thing that I wanted to say, there were a couple of like nice roles, right? So like the investigation roles inside a Gilmore shop, clearly as they inspected around and then like Scanlan kept getting beat by everyone else. Percy goes for that Lance and clearly just doesn't make it in time with some oh, kind of Oh, the Lance. Check. I wanted to reference the yeah. Lance. What? They have that Lance in the campaign just no one's good with it or like Percy has it or something <laughs> but like stat-wise it never makes sense to use so they just kind of fucking don't. 
But it gets brought up a few times, like, don't you have that lance of dragon slaying in the bag of holding? He's like, yeah, but, you know. <laughs> but I'm a DJ, gun guy. Maybe you can speak more to this because you've listened through more times. But well, <laughs> they that gets kind of turned into a different thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it? but I that I expect Spoilers. kind of shows up this <laughs> next episode. So, all right, mm. cool. Yeah, I just thought it was funny that he's like, Lance of Dragon slang, and then it just gets crushed, and I'm like, wow. Oh, I just remembered something super cool from the episode. Can I talk about it really quick? Sweet. Uh, so the main dragon, what is his name? Yes, Thordak. Um, I'm never going to remember that. When he did the huge fire beam that went straight through the palace across the ocean, that was super, super cool. Like It was straight up like a hyper beam. The animation in this whole show is top notch and cannot be stopped. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They made it very clear. They made it very clear. Hyper beam. Yeah, they sure. were no match for Jordash and his team of his yeah. team of very angry dragons. So, so. just in in the sense that in I thought season one was incredible animation wise. Mm-hmm. I thought in season one, the thing I always think whenever this is used, the combination of like 3D models into 2D was a little jarring at times. Hmm. Not seamless, seamless in this episode, in my opinion. I've never been so sold on 3D models and then like the rotoscoping camera with 2D animation, all feeling collective and together and weighted and like grounded. It was incredible. I think I, one of the yeah, one of the earliest shows, well, not the earliest shows, but one show to really become like well known for their use of rotoscoping over 3D animation is Dragon Prince by Aaron Isatz and that same some of the same people who made Legend of Korra and Avatar: yep. The Last Airbender. So I'm and sure there might be some crossover even. Season, sure. same thing. So jarring. Like I, I like so I go jarring. back and watch the first season. I'm just like, whoa! Like they clearly did not have a handle on what they were doing. And then in you watch season Korra, two, you get the same thing. Three, yeah. yeah, it starts to become a little more okay. This makes sense. But I have to say that like, um, what what is it? Titmouse, the company that's Titmouse, doing, yeah. yeah, Titmouse is doing the animation. Wow, legitimately, it's, I'm blown away. Yeah, blown so away. good. Like you would not know it's not cell animation, even in like when they were standing and looking out over like the destruction of what's the name of the region, Tadore? Like, uh, Iman is the is like the city, Iman. Uh, but like when they the were like they continent. had. Yeah. gone to like they had retreated yeah okay so they're looking out mm-hmm. over like the landscape and uh like the way that like the animation like their hair like blows in the wind and it's kind of a little choppy and everything like there's like little touches i feel like harken back to early cell animation that like yeah. you wouldn't find those like that choppiness oh, yeah. in 3d animation but they're like they've, that's what sells it right they've managed to take mm-hmm. the 3d like kind of lower the frame, the frame rate, rate or something yeah, exactly, and add some exactly. grain so it just it feels so seamless and perfect and i was so immersed i was on the edge of my seat the what brandon alman Auerman, i think is like the head animator i want to kiss you on the mouth if you're listening to this incredible (laughs) stuff (laughs) i don't absolutely i've managed not to get covid over the course of the last three years so i'm not going to kiss you on the mouth but i will give you a handy if you if you're into that mask on gloves off let's do this <laughs> i need a shirt that just says mask on gloves off <laughs> if this doesn't sell you on like listening to catacomb party i don't know it will okay predictions <laughs> bits 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 bits, bits.
let's go let's go from the yes right i feel let's like, I feel like the most. realistic yeah i was no, gonna most, say i feel like yeah 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 least yeah. to most for sure i i feel like the answer is is the three of us give predictions and the two veterans don't <laughs> yeah i i don't feel comfortable giving a prediction yeah. at this point right. <laughs> right yeah you you guys do predictions and me yeah. and pj will like conversate a little about where yeah where we think they might fit in things that need to be fit in that aren't there. Or so something. I, I think it goes <laughs> Mathard, Leslie, me based on experience. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. If that's cool. Yeah, that's that's yeah. kind of. Yeah, right. I'd say and I've like, read Mathard, all the Leslie are comparable so. in different ways. <laughs> like Mathard's paid more attention to the oh, story also of Critical that Role, aura of death. It, Leslie's in that one and never really in that one moment, oh, that one yeah, moment with so. Vax and the aura of death very clearly. highlights oh, a thing. My- yeah. God. Yeah. Anyway, want just want to make that. just just putting that there. Um, so, what am I doing? I'm making a prediction about what's going to happen in the next episode. Yeah. Overall, for this it, full season, thing. it doesn't need to be the next episode. It's just what like do you think talking the about the series think? finale four seasons from now is going to yeah. be. How does the campaign end? <laughs> <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I've crunched the numbers, and I, I, I mean, I legitimately don't don't know. I, I, I guess we're going to now Vasselheim. That we, this conversation yeah. they're going to Vasselheim right which is a city that is run by a religious orders which is really interesting to um F. Uh, Ashley's Pike. character right what's her name Pike Pike, oh, Pike. Pike yeah bad with the names it's fine which is weird for a DM I, <laughs> I I I guess my prediction would be that they encounter resistance from the religious orders of 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 Vasselheim. Maybe they don't want to help, and that creates a conflict, like an ethical dilemma for Pike. Right? Like I'm I'm here, and like we should be helping, and like you just want to worry about yourselves, and there are people out there suffering. I mean, I I don't know. I'm kind of assuming that they're setting up something where like her excitement to go there, I could see that being dashed right when she gets there, and she's like these these people are more concerned with their like pious, like, you know, preservation of their religious beliefs. So that'll be my prediction. Okay, cool. Leslie. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to end up in Vasselheim proper just because the description uh, they received was super vague. So maybe there'll be like a montage of them getting to Vasselheim from wherever they end up. I'm not sure. Uh, but there was that super creepy entity at, at that one place. Um, yes, yes, the Cloud Top District. Um, maybe that was from the bite from Silas Briarwood in season one. Like, maybe that's just an effect from that event happening. Honestly, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think for me, the thing that I'm looking for forward to most i think i know the vax detail so i'm not going to talk about that at all but i'm very very curious about where they end up in this exact moment the tree i think i'm with you on the tree side of things i think we aren't done with the council i think that obviously we're going to go back to iman but i truly i question whether or not iman actually ever rebuilds and i think that that's like a real real that's like a full season idea or like maybe even longer than that but uh yeah so i think that's where i'm at I also think I agree with you, Mathar, on the. That's a true. pretty good prediction. 
I, th- I think that's solid. I think that's solid. It's and I think I'm with you, Mathar, on like the moral and ethical concerns as they go into a religious stronghold. I think that'll be interesting as far as the plot goes. Yeah, it's like she expects very... him to act one way and then it's like, oh, well, these are my people, right? Like, she, I think we've mm-hmm. already foreshadowed that a little bit, but... Maybe with not. the previous season a little bit. Yeah. She's been... She's already not been met with that but she's had a little bit of that internally and she Mm -hmm. overcame it but i can imagine devout folks having kind of the same thing and she has to wake them up too like if i were writing it i would absolutely put a like religious character you know a pious character in the middle of a pious district and have them all sort of say like no 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 like we're about self-preservation and have that ethical quandary of like do i believe what i believe or you know are these people fucking it up or am I just deluded about like what my religion really is? You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nope. I don't get any of that, but I'm a well, post Christian and I'm a, I'm, I'm a survivor of Christianity. <laughs> yeah. I'm really into yeah. like post Christian core. Yeah. I'm so a survivor of organized religion. <laughs> so, so that's where my core, mind yeah. goes. <laughs> All right. Should we watch that's episode great. two? Yes, One thing I want to, sure. leave right. oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. In lieu of a prediction, something that hasn't been brought up, the, Keen of eye may have noticed, but I feel like it was pretty well blended in, but there is definitely something significantly odd about Thordak visually, the red Mm -hmm. dragon. Yep. (gasps) Oh yeah, that's right. We didn't talk about about that. Yeah. He got a stone stone in his chest. chest. As far as your predictions go, fucking tight. As far as your predictions go, I want to say some of them are right, some of them don't even come up, and some of them, you'd be surprised how wrong they are. Mm. Interesting. Ooh. All right, last Welcome. one back is a troll dick. All right, we're back with episode two, and we've got another summary. Vox Machina travels to the mysterious ancient city of Vasselheim to search for allies. They're soon forced to turn to a group of seedy bounty hunters called the Slayer's Take. There, they encounter an ancient creature who holds critical information that could help them in their fight against the dragons of the Chroma Conclave. Excellent. Okay, so I've settled on a thing. I've settled on a structure now that we did our, we've done our first episode because I think it makes sense. So the yeah. first thing that we're going to do is we're going to do reactions. Then All we're right. going to do campaign versus show notes. Okay. Then we're going to do other notes that we may have missed and then predictions. Cool? We've got structure. We figured it out. Cool. All right. So reactions. What were what were the initial reactions? What do we think? Where do we want to start? Who wants to start? I can start here. Uh, so this episode was obviously super, super good, as they all will be. <laughs> uh, but the Sphinx part, yeah, the Sphinx was super, super cool. I mean, it was probably the most obvious with the 3D animation being integrated, but I mean... If that's the only thing that I've ever noticed, like that is incredible in itself. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like the episode. I immediately, in my own notation, the moment that we get to the Sphinx, which is like halfway through the episode or so, I immediately went dweller scene, lol. Yeah, I was <laughs> thinking of the dweller reaction. scene too. <laughs> I, just, I had that briefest <laughs> flash of like, 
Oh, yeah. This is very reminiscent of our own kind of experience in a way. But instead of us, instead of math, are you telling us what our faults were? We exposed ourselves and our problems. <laughs> it, was, it was kind of inverted in that way. But I, I just had this moment and flash of appreciation. I, I've said so. it before and I'll say it again. Season one of Catacomb Party is the character backstory. <laughs> the traumatic yeah. backstory. Yes. Of the character. Yeah, absolutely. I would just like to say that I was right. <laughs> what you were I, totally right I was totally right i was i was like ear to ear smiling i was like oh i fucking knew it i knew they would do this shit so good such a good trope i mean i'm not even mad mm-hmm. i'm i'm very pleased um yeah i'll say uh, we got our first scanlan song of the season yeah as brief as it was right at the beginning there Followed also, by the excellent quote, before I met you, I would have found this upsetting. <laughs> followed by the excellent quote, good thing these titties were here. <laughs> <laughs> Writing is so good. Man, as as a, as a fan of the show, there's definitely things that they're like condensing, like the grog fight 100% happens pretty much exactly like that. The Slayer's take scene happens very similarly to that. They're not necessarily happening at the same time, but it's just using it's making it so we don't have to like go to Vasselheim, go somewhere else, come back to Vasselheim, go somewhere else, come back to Vasselheim, go somewhere else, letting the story kind of get all the Vasselheim stuff done at once and then moving on. I have to say, like from from someone who like kind of knows where pieces of it are going. God, how do I say this without being spoilery? PJ, there's a certain character that we've seen a few times now that I'm really surprised to see this early. It's a spooky character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it it's really sense. cool. It, it, makes it makes a lot they, of sense. They yeah. say the of... name. They anyway, have, okay. but they haven't specified Sorry. that that's yeah. who that is. Yeah. Oh, well, sure. Sorry, my bad. My bad. Yeah, the Raven Queen. I yeah. just just to put it out there, I thought that that was kind of obvious with the birds that were in front of it her the be. second time, not should the first be. time. Yeah. You you but. see her on top of her temple. Yeah. And then we see that logo again whenever they're talking about the matron of ravens. But. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's with the first vestige, right? That they have to go yeah. collect the first vestige. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I picked vestige, up on that. Yeah. Didn't know its relevance, but I was like, oh, cool. Like, we might get some, like, Shadowfell, like, Raven Queen stuff. That's cool. Yeah. As um, someone who does um, know a little bit I, about D&D lore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am second-guessing myself, but I'm pretty sure there's... A couple really, really huge points that are completely skipped over. Like their their meeting of the Sphinx happens well after they meet the Slayers. Take yes, I, I'm curious. So moving into campaign notes, just I was gonna oh, yeah. I was gonna signpost yeah. it. You buttholes, okay. I love okay. you so well. dearly. Did you have any episode <laughs> reactions? I well, it's hard to have reactions that are separate from campaign notes. Yeah. But, it's, but it's also it, like, a, yeah, that's why we're going first and then you're going yeah, second. Exactly. So maybe we just say <laughs> campaign and show reactions in. for you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It, it, we'll do so that. So the, the show and the story, like, I, I feel like this episode, even more than the first one, it's pretty obvious they're they're tackling a lot more of the campaign this season than they did the first season. And to make that make sense and to make that work, it like there are things that have to get cut and shifted around, but I feel like they're crafting a beautiful story anyway out of it. And I like I'm I'm in no way upset about it, but like there are always going to be those things that are getting passed over that I'm sure they similarly in the writing is in the writer's room had a tough, tough time 
decide. You got to make cut. cuts, right? That's the editorial yeah. process. It's like you got to decide, exactly. like, okay, if I leave this in, it leaves less time for this thing, right? Like, I have twenty-ish right. minutes to tell the story, yeah. and like, which of these things needs the most amount of time to really like. Like, which of these things is going to drive the story forward? That must be such a difficult decision when you lived that story and you wrote it all out. Yeah. And you're like, man, there's so much good shit we're leaving on the cutting room floor. That's tough. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and, also why I've loved the namesake of, like, the legend of Vox Machina. So, like, this is the highlights in its own right. Yes. Like, this is... it's. It, it's not correcting anything that's happened before so far at the very least in season one. I can speak to that with a decent amount of accuracy. Like it's not trying to retcon anything for the most part, but it feels reminiscent of it. So that's why I really appreciate this entire storytelling aspect. But yeah, I was literally going to say the exact same thing. It's, oh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll yeah. say like looking at it right now, episode one tackles all of episode 40 and 41. So that's mm-hmm. two full four hour campaign things. And then 42 and 43 are what we just saw, but with things from 49 and some stuff from like 51 and 52. So like, nice. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, there's they're, they're pulling things together. It's cool that people have really figured cool that out, right? That they've, yeah. or, or is that like something that the company released? Uh, I, I was just looking at it. I was like, all right, the, from the names of the episodes, I kind of know like, like there's an episode that's very Roughly. distinctly named when they meet the Sphinx. Yeah. There's one where like I know that that's the episode where Grog has his sand pit fight because that happens at a different time. The Sphinx happens at a different time. So mm-hmm. it's really fun to look at that. And uh, so, yes, people have figured it out. Me, I'm people just now. On the <laughs> <phone>. <laughs> it's fine. I loved in the fight with the monk of the storm lord i'm assuming it's a monk it seems like it open fists it did very much yeah. felt that way i loved it i'm also just a sucker for monks in media it doesn't happen often enough that's why i play a monk in this also campaign is because i don't monk. think they're highlighted yeah just monk. muscled yeah. out f is not jacked by any stretch of the imagination but i love the depiction here of the monk um yeah I assume that was what it was. Yeah, it was blind as well. And so he was I don't know able if it's to a, react. And- I know it's a fighting style in like Pathfinder. I can't remember if it's one in D&D. I think it might be a homebrew thing that Nat brought over from Pathfinder. But the, like blind fighting is an entire fighting style of monks. Pretty sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> this is also um, in Avatar The Last Airbender podcast. I've gotta say it's it's so easy almost at this point to take it for completely granted because it's just so prevalent in every single episode season one and season two but because of like the amount of hours with these characters and just the level of skill of all of the cast members like there were a few moments in here where the voice acting and voice direction was just incredible and especially Mm -hmm. with the two guest characters so Wilfred L and Mary Elizabeth something. I'll have to look that up. But so Zara and Cash. It is rare mm-hmm. that you get like guest characters with that little amount of screen time. And you're like, I get what you're about. You're a fully realized character. Holy shit. Like it, it, it's not just passing. Like it, they come in and they make like a fucking scene like, of it. They, yeah, yeah. They leave an impression in such a cool way. And whenever you have that much talent, just in, right. in your contacts list on your phone you know like right yeah so but i was i was like a little bit it feels it feels different you know like i love Mm -hmm. animated shows but there's usually characters like that'll be kind of thrown away 
and no, not here. <laughs> so, yeah. Like it, it's cool to just have everything be so in depth and fully realized. And I mean, amazing performances by like top industry people in these side parts just kind of fills mm-hmm. out the world in such a cool way. Yeah. I, Leslie, Leslie made the point too, in the first episode of like love, love a tiefling. And I fucking love a good tiefling oh, yeah. that pours a drink with her tail, you know, it was hot. We all know it was hot. We all know. <laughs> Me and Leslie have yeah. talked about this a lot, and it's like the every every D and D campaign needs a hot bisexual tiefling. Every of single course. one. Caduceus was totally in that episode. Did anybody? Absolutely. Well, I guess, was it the guard in the background? Mind. No. So Caduceus is the yeah. Caduceus is a cleric of the Wild Mother in campaign yes. two. Oh, you're right. And whenever they right. say the Wild Mother in the background, real mm-hmm. small, there's a real tall pink furbolg with like. Or pink haired Furbolg with like the light blue. Oh, interesting. Skin. Caduceus and, like, is a, a player character. Yeah, yeah it's, Caduceus it's is Talison's. Talison's character from Campaign Two. Wow. Campaign two. And I swear to God, he's in that episode. <laughs> okay, so did anyone else think that the guard at the gate looked and sounded a lot like Matt Mercer? Oh, it totally. is Matt. Yeah, they that put, was hundred percent Matt Mercer in yeah. every episode. If you know where to look. Yeah, <laughs> it, that was. Like, again, I, I love the first note that I had was every Mercer moment is a gift. Every it's just Mercer like, moment's a it's gift. It's always yeah. a random NPC. It's like always a fun thing that like shouldn't be that fun, but it is because it's mad again. And it's just this reminder again, that's his world that we're all kind of getting yeah. to absorb, which is also great. Matt. Matt played three total characters in that episode, I believe, because Matt played the guard. Matt is the voice of Craven Edge, the sword. Yep. And my favorite Matt Mercer NPC besides Gilmore from campaign one, Victor at the end of the episode. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. the, the, yeah, um, the black powder sales. Yeah. The black powder sales. Yeah. yeah. I knew it. So I was glad like, to oh, see. It's so good. So glad to see Matt got to keep that one. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. That, it, it, all it, it, it reeked of sort of the, like my cabbages guy from <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> Avatar. So that, <laughs> that's a character that was like a throwaway <laughs> Yeah, we love Avatar here, everybody. <laughs> also, very King Boomy, very King Boomy, right, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the King same Boomy, animators yeah. coming over from one to the other. That Victor character, I'm pretty sure was supposed to be like a throwaway character that Matt just made something kooky once, thinking mm-hmm. he'd never have to do that again. And they just keep going back love the campaign it. to make Matt do the fucking voice again. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Amazing. Please, yes, yeah, fair. Yes. I'm so lonely. Yep. We actually don't <laughs> fuck with you enough. That's that's the reality. Yeah. Ever since you uh, sealed all the doors, I was like, eh, well, what's the point? <laughs> outside of the outside of like constantly being threatened by Godot eating our brains, you know, like that was kind of a yeah. Yeah. Should we just that do this? Bit. Sa- should we do some short poor episodes for every single Tales of Khan episode? I mean, I feel like we've talked about doing talk talks, right? Like that's been the whole thing, but like occasionally we can do it otherwise. (laughs) I, so I loved the flash to the calamity. I know that the, we, Mathar, I talked to you about this one bit, this one bit about Mm -hmm. the calamity that connects directly with the campaign and with that character from the campaign episode. And that is in the next episode. But yes, you are right. There is a very distinct, there is a connection to to the calamity here coming up. And I assume this next episode. If you um, haven't watched Calamity, you got it. Yeah, I love that Bidet made it. I, I like that they they will cut mean, a lot bidet? of <laughs> <laughs> they'll they'll cut a shit ton of like seemingly important plot points to make sure the jokes that they thought were to really funny at the table bits. make it in the show. And I to love that bits, bits take precedence. <laughs> yeah. Well, Leslie's so, all like, "Fuck so you and your bits." It, 
<laughs> maybe maybe this is looking at it a little bit cynically. Or maybe As maybe it's fan service, whatever whatever it might be. But a lot of what they're keeping in are the things that they keep in perpetuity, even yes. beyond the campaign that they come from. A hundred percent. They like, say mm, bidet, bidet and, and campaign three, hello you know? bees from campaign two yes. still shows up all the time. Mm-hmm. Of course. Like, um, yeah. if, if it's an arsequeef emote, it's making it into. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have no context on that. No, I thought it yep. was funny. <laughs> Arsequeef is a is a lovely content creator who makes all of their emotes. <laughs> mm, got it. Got it. Got and got yes, it. their name has. They've been banned from Twitch a few times because of their name, and always come back with something similar. <laughs> just close enough. I loved the grog butterfly meme. It was just so. It was so beautifully <laughs> obvious. Yeah. As he's like letting go of the butterfly and staring at it in the exact same format. And I was like, yeah. you just stole that meme forever. Yeah, good work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so sorry to the original artist. <laughs> I know, right? Man, I in in the same situation that we've been talking about where like they had to condense so much. And there's certainly things cut. And as like a fan of the campaign, I would love it if this was just going to go 10 seasons and they could give us everything. Yeah. Understanding that they can't. I'm so impressed with the way how they're putting it together. Like, they so stay impressed. The Chroma Conclave is two seasons. Two seasons. Like, it's not oh, it's not going to be one. So, like, if even we're nowhere with two near, seasons, I'm like, damn, that's going to yeah. be hard to pull off. It's like there's 80 episodes, 70 episodes. It's like crazy, right? I think it's 40. I think it's 40. 40. Okay. Well, still, still I mean, 40. It's, it's that's like 160 from 40 hours. to like episode 80 something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you say it's going to be hard to pull off, but let's just let's just be real. Like things that happen in a campaign of like a tabletop role playing campaign, like there's an excruciating amount of detail that you get to explore. That's the fun of it, right? Is like you get the level of detail you don't get in popular media. The beats that it seems like they're putting into the story so far are what you'd write from scratch if you were writing a story like this, right? You course, would pick yeah, this. It's true. like, oh, we don't have time to go into it's all the of highlights. Like, you know, yeah, exactly. It's yes. like we're writing. It's not like it's too short for a TV series. It's just like, this is what you would get for a TV series. And if you turned yeah. that into a campaign, you'd get all of the stuff, you know, embedded in between, you know, the 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 nuance and the and the culture and and yeah. And in a lot of the in a lot of ways I almost feel like we're getting more of that in in depthness and like lore than you would in a normal tv series because it's all already written it's there it's like you can Mm. shove it in in a background image you know and this is a series you you have to watch multiple times because if you have a discerning eye you'll be like oh wow i didn't notice that like it's all tethered together normally when you're writing a series like this it's like you do gloss over all of those like uh i mean it, it is there has to be so much thought that goes into every single shot because every single one is packed full of little lore bits and things like yeah, that. Yeah, like the mo- every moment that Grog's sword is active, you can see the red on the, the end turned on versus slightly. off. Like even when he's he's approaching combat, the redstone was on versus every other scene it was off. I saw so the that. that I didn't know its the significance. Monk, I think even, it is. Even so I, things I don't like, fully know, but I'm pretty sure. If you if you know the campaign. And I even mentioned this moment to PJ vaguely earlier. There is a part in this episode where Grog walks out from eating lunch. The sword speaks and then he farts a little. He goes, Ooh. and I'm like, oh, are we about to get that scene already? And but like, it's it feels purposeful to do that little yeah. fart joke because like this is a crude show, but I don't feel like it's the kind of show that like does a throwaway fart joke. Right. <laughs> 
But to those of us who know, we know what that, that what they were referencing. You know, yeah, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. I yeah. know. Look grossed out. You should. So, what was everyone's favorite vignette from this sequence? Because I feel like Scanlan's just hurt the most. <laughs> like, no one cares about you, so why should I? Like, the Sphinx didn't even waste time giving him a, a sad turnaround. Like, that shit hurt. Yeah, Especially, deeply. I know Leslie knows more about Scanlan than someone who, like, hasn't watched the campaign. Knowing what, as me and PJ and also Leslie knows about Scanlan's story arc, that shit hurt. I mean, Scanlan, mm, I think, hurts hurt. regardless. Yeah. This idea of being ignored because, I mean, like, you're the annoying piece of shit in the friend group or, like, for whatever reason, you are the punching bag. I am the punching bag of my friend group. I am the Scanlan of right. my friends, even though <laughs> you can't see yeah, I definitely can't sing. We're we're not talking about that. But <laughs> oh, so you're like you see my point? You're like fucking Jesus yeah, Christ! Yeah. I sat in a room. We've got patrons, and it's like they immediately they latch into the idea of making fun of me, and I'm like, how did I end up being the punching bag for all of you? Like, I don't get it. Like, what did I do? How did it's I fine. We all pick on you and Kana too, <laughs> right? Exactly. Like, I don't. How is that? The Which, default? by the way, I don't understand. You asked for so I just want to. I, <laughs> F F does F does have that desire to be punched, so I get it. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's it's just very interesting. So, I, like, I immediately related to Scanlon's moment where it's like, "Yep, no one gives a shit," and it's like everyone is constantly giving so much of a shit, but it's like you don't, yeah. Yeah, and I know yeah. where Scanlan goes as well, so I'm with you. But I, I think even without that, that one yeah. hurts the worst because it's that lack of, yeah, it's that exactly. lack of feedback, which can be the. the ugh. Yeah. I know, yeah, that. Right. Oh, and and that like you don't have to tell me; I already know I'm annoying. And they're just like, okay, that's so fucking rough. Yeah, yeah, and oh my god. And besides, besides Scanlan, which I think we can all like objectively agree, yeah, was the hardest. Keyless gets me a lot because mm. like all of the other ones th- she's just saying things that the characters already know mm-hmm. and so does Keyleth but like Keyleth hasn't faced that about herself yet and yeah. it will get there in the show but like yeah she's the only one that's gonna live more than a normal life basically besides the gnomes mm-hmm. we're gonna live like a few hundred years and she's gonna live a few thousand yeah, yeah. okay I want to move to predictions real quick so that kicks it off with Mathar and then Leslie and then myself unless PJ do you have anything else you want to Chime in. Um, so one, one thing I wanted to talk about and and touch on something I've noticed about this season versus first season. It's so much more serious. Oh yeah, the, for sure. The comedy is really understated, especially whenever it's you look there, at the first but, two yeah. episodes of season one versus the first two episodes of this. Like, holy shit! <laughs> Can uh, I anyway. just say though that like the animation. Not okay, sorry, not just the animation, but the cinematography, right? Behind like there's there there are people directing this show, right? There are people yeah. setting up these shots. And that shot with the I, I it's the the Sphinx, but I don't know yes. what the like scene was called or whatever. You, you mentioned it by name. Oh, the Slayer's Take Sphinx scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we were just Patron. talking about all those flashbacks. Like, oh my, I found that so profoundly effective. It was like, so it was just incredibly, like the framing, every single frame was a, a painting. Like it was truly, mm-hmm. truly so stunning to me. And mm-hmm. I've heard people talk shit on this show from the perspective that like, yeah, it's not really breaking new ground. 
okay, fair. It's really fucking good though. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's a masterclass in execution. Exactly. Yeah. It's like it may not break new ground. It doesn't need to. Has anything broken new ground since Homer's Odyssey? Maybe not. Right. We're <laughs> yeah. still the hero's journey is 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 pervasive in all of our media. Right. Like. It doesn't need to break new ground. It just needs to do it really fucking good. And it's so good. That's like something I noticed in the first episode, too. And I just thought it was dialed up to 10, especially in that Sphinx scene in this one. And the way how it cut back to Grog's fight is very, very intentional and kinetic, like camera work. Yeah. Which, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're getting more and more into the age of camera work being considered in animation with shows like Arcane. Yeah. Yeah, shot placements. You get really, really intense cinematography within your animation. But this is like, this is some high level cinematography. Like, it just the way how the shots are built. I'm. Oh man, when they were spinning around the 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 what is called an arcing shot, where like you're centered on a point and the camera is arcing around it, and every time they go past one of the columns, uh, another player disappears. Right, like they're vanishing into their like memories. Oh, it's so good. And and the (laughs) the use of the use of space within that to drive home the points, like whenever they tell. Whenever Osisa tells Keyleth, like, or are you just afraid they're not going to live long enough to see you achieve it? And she falls towards them and then back out. Like, mm-hmm. so she gets like, oh, my God, just just the the use of space and gravity and movement mm-hmm. and all of that. I mean, even back in in episode one, whenever Thordak sends that beam and it takes a second to zoom in on the face of the soldiers as they're about to get hit. Such a simple shot you'd expect from a movie, but I don't see stuff like that in animation that much. Right. And Outside of the legend of Korra and Avatar The Last Airbender. Exactly. Right? It's just, right. it's, yes. Thank you for sponsoring this uh, Nickelodeon and uh, yeah. Avatar The Tip Last Mouse. Airbender. Okay. Quick predictions. Yeah. Mathar, do you have a prediction? Okay, predictions. I was thinking about this. Yeah, back to my notes. I'm out on this one because I actually now know the core beat of the next beat, so I'm out on this round of predictions. So it's just you two. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't really know. I was trying to think of a prediction that I thought like I had a strong inclination to say what I said last time about the the city essentially saying like we're good out here, right? In in from here i mean i I saw the hallmarks of the classic you know seven pieces of a horcrux you know you got the the classic like you got to go collect all the vestiges the 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 magic items and bring them back together i i guess my one prediction is that this might be where i mean you, you somebody's already said that like the season like the chroma conclave will take two seasons so i'm guessing it's not going to be like a season per quest but like my prediction is like the episodes or in pairs perhaps will start to break into like side quests right where it's like okay we're on this Mm. mission and we're doing this thing and it's going to be wrapped up in the course of an episode or maybe two right and then we come back and then if they need those pieces to defeat the chroma conclave and they don't want that to stretch out over the entirety of the series then i i see it starting to break into kind of a monster of the week or like a quest of the week thing right that that i could see it going that way and so i'd be interested to see if the format shifts slightly in that direction to cover the different vestiges you know their quest to retrieve the different vestiges and so on and so forth 
as stated, I know exactly the next episode for the most part. Unfortunately, this is one of those highlights that I'm just very aware of. So I'm out. Leslie, what's your not even going to false flag it for us? Come on. I can't false flag it. <laughs> I know too much. I do it for PJ all the time in the regular show, but I can't in this case because I would feel so bad because we are about to go into it. And like the immediacy of like you learning what I'm going to like false flag Oops, you on so feels all very right. bad. What you got, Leslie? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's hard to predict what comes next. I'm just kind of taking it all in as it happens at this point. Um, But I assume we'll go to where that Raven Queen was, just because that keeps showing up. Um, Yeah, other than that, I mean, I don't know, honestly. (laughs) Actually, they'll definitely bring up the Raven Queen again, right? Like, I feel like in this next episode, for sure, there's no way that we're not going to, like, follow up on that. You know, I'm really sad that uh, the bear isn't used, like, at all yet. Like, do something with the bear. I mean, you're both terribly wrong. Raven Queen never comes back up. The sword (laughs) never comes back up. It just yeah, all dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, end of the podcast. dragons don't really come back up. End of podcast. <laughs> right. I did. I did want to. I did want to say before we disembark onto the next episode, there was one bit that I missed in the first episode. I want to mention, but the fact that Scanlan hand is a foot and that it's foot and mouth to silence the uh-huh. dragon is uh-huh. fucking foot amazing. Mouth. Foot and mouth, like that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah, they yeah, have magic yeah. too. Right. Or yeah. fuck. Wait, oh, they man. have magic too. All right. Um, anyway. Last yeah, word, Josh. So, Basically, none of the stuff that has been building up. They just kind of decide to leave it all, go to a different town, start a bakery called Slayer's Bake. So, Slayer's Bake instead of Slayer's Take? Bold, <laughs> bold choice. <laughs> Love it. All right. We'll see you on the other side. So episode three, huh? I, this is Mathar's summary to read. Um, so I assume the summary is just going to be read like, <laughs> Yeah, Vox Machina explores the ancient temple, the search for the first vestige of divergence. Whatever. It's a legendary <laughs> weapon. They hope it will aid them against the dragons of the Chroma Conclave. Bullshit. <laughs> as they overcome a series of dangerous encounters to reach a sunken tomb. One of the team makes a terrible mistake. Yeah, I don't think it was her mistake, okay? No, it was his mistake. It was Percy's for mistake, sure. for sure. sure. Yeah. So reactions first. That's our that's our game here. First thing um, I want to say. Or, first yeah, thing I want to sure. say. And that's where we're going to end tonight's episode. It's what a lot of us had to live with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a week. <laughs> Or two? I don't know. Luckily not me, but a lot of people out there. I just went to the next episode. But still, I had to listen to a whole intro. I had to listen to Sam's stupid fucking ad. (laughs) (laughs) So, I I think we'll start with the the newbie crew. And uh, Mathar, you clearly feel very deeply hurt. I'm sure Leslie does as well with the ranger elf connection. No, I'm just like... In my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, so someone's going to come along with Revivify, you know, like I know D&D, this is going to be like a spell, brings her back, but 
can I just point out? Are they out, playing it for dramatic effect or are they playing it for like, like, is this actually? Yeah, I, I would like to just do, I know this is out of format a little bit, but jump into a little bit of like campaign talk to this and what we just saw transpire. Drop to zero hit points. Matt asks, does that bring you to zero hit points? And tells her there are no death saves. You're dead. And Pike goes to revivify and it is blocked. It, it, it is perma-dead. Dead, dead. No changing it. No fixing it. Yeah, what what you saw Pike do was revivify. That was Pike trying revivify. Cool. So, <laughs> so I feel worse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I saw I saw Raven's feathers. I know that like they could potentially go to like the. I mean, in this campaign, it's called like the Matron of Ravens. You know, like she could. Mm-hmm she like the shadow fells where you like shepherd you know people across to like the the great beyond you know so i feel like there's got to be maybe some way to get her back and and maybe that becomes like a new quest thread that they pursue but uh i gotta know was it like like that's how it happened in the session like 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 truly what okay was there signposting that like they shouldn't open the grave and then percy did it anyway like talison did it anyway and then it like ended up being a thing that killed her like yeah yeah, yeah you're right okay so that's my reaction it sucks i'm done <laughs> so there was so much more bear in this episode i'm very happy <laughs> um i don't think that vex would just straight up be dead i mean it's it's the first part of the season, like, uh, surely they wouldn't kill off a character now, right? Like, she's got to come back. Like, I've seen, you know, art, and, and I kind of know where the story goes, like, it for her story arc, generally, but I, I don't know the fine details, of course, but, like, like, surely there's not, she's not dead right now. Like, I don't know how they're going to bring her back or anything, but, like, I saw Pike try to do Revivify and it didn't work. Which is really sad. <laughs> so I'm curious how they're going to bring her back. But I mean, like a character death is like a such a season finale thing. I don't think that's final at all. But I mean, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I I think I agree with you. I, I totally think I agree with you. I think one of the things um, and the, I think this is one of the dangerous things with like TTRPGs in general, right, is like death needs to have stakes. And I think that's one of the things that from the outset of not knowing a Matt campaign, you wouldn't under necessarily have the context that like, it's not just that you go to revivify someone and they come back. It's not quite that easy most of the time. Um, and it gradually increases the difficulty of these roles as you bring these people back because it's harder and harder to reclaim them from death. And sometimes that involves rituals and other things that like really like deeply mess with the characters to bring back yeah, Matt's, someone Matt's home from the other side on, on revivify and resurrection are really are the best strict and because I, I adhere to them so hard. They're so much better you, because <laughs> well, exactly because, What's the difference. Um, so revivify inherently doesn't work. Uh, you have to roll for it. Uh, very strict about components, but every time a character is revivified, the DC the next time goes up. And you have to perform a ritual. Three people have to be able to succeed Pass, skill uh, checks, skill checks, checks to convince their soul to come back to their body in a ritual. Um, and it has and to be DC something that goes, the character believes that they can pull out of them. So yeah. it's like 
I as so like let's say L and L die in our campaign. So I as F am terrible at charisma, but I'm I'm a pretty good intuition. So I would I would like drag on this idea of like knowing that there's something deep down that they want to solve and there's some sort of core component to them that they want to pull that on. And I'd pull it that soul thread basically to try to get them back to life. Then I'd have to nail a check. And if I missed it, that's a fail effectively in like a second round of death saves that friends are doing for that person. Yeah. So good. So uh, death is never for sure reversible. Um, and also without diving too much into where this goes in the campaign, whether or not this death is reversible, I, I won't say, but I will say that it is inherently it inherently changes dynamics from this point going forward and through to the very end of the campaign affects deeply the characters. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just... that was that was a question for me to PJ and Josh because I haven't watched the campaign. Um, as well, is this something that is come that comes from the comic books or Kith and Kin, or was this something that they were doing flashbacks to, or how was this exposed? There's no flashbacks. The they do describe a decent amount of right. their childhood. Um, I have Kith and Kin. I haven't read it, but I assume it probably okay. goes over a lot of this. I do not have Kith and Kin. Um, there Got there it. are some some flashback scenes that happen. They don't happen here. As far as I can recall, I think they happen whenever they okay. go to. Um, Just curious, yeah. I forget yeah. the name, the Elven City. Um, something to be brought up because it, it shows its face a few different times, and Mathar brought it up um, with the Matron of Ravens is named differently here versus like the actual D and D lore. Um, that's pretty true across most of this show. Uh, biggest example is Scanlan's hand was always. B- Big B hand, big B hand. Yeah, because it's not part um, of the OGL, right? It's not part of the SRD. Yeah, it's not yeah. part of the SRD, meaning it's not covered by the OGL. Which let's right. take a moment right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, so that a is lot an of entire very podcast. specific names mm-hmm. um, and names of spells and and things like that are changed. Yeah. Um, Pike being of the Everlight as opposed to of Saren Ray is another big glare. Which is crazy example. interesting because that's not even D&D, that's Pathfinder. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Leslie's so. first ever TTRPG character was a gnome with platinum blonde hair who worshipped the Everlight, a.k.a. Saren Ray. She had no wow. clue about Critical Role. She was a rogue, not in. a cleric. But rogue. yeah. Oh, a rogue. That's like interesting. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yeah. No. 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 That's fine. I would also yep. like to we're point not, out that we're she... not critically analyzing it. Yeah. Sure. I would sure. also. I would also like to point out she yeah. was a rogue with swords, white hair, mm. violet eyes, named Rayla or Larela. And then Rayla from the Dragon Prince is just the exact same fucking character, but an elf. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, you can see two different Avatar-related companies. It's on the record. (laughs) It's on the record. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
I do want to make mention of the belt that is finally equipped here, and this is Grog's yes. uh, Kratos beard belt. Uh, very <laughs> clearly, suddenly the God of War, very reminiscent of Kratos. Uh, it killed me when that happened. I, I was immediately it. like, "Where's so, Atreus? Like, where is he?" <laughs> something really interesting. That belt isn't doesn't just give you a beard for the lore. I don't know if I'm sure it's like plus it one strength. That. But yeah, it's yeah. uh it's it's like a giant belt of it's a belt yeah. of dwarven kind, and it oh, boosts your strength, but not much. And his strength was already past the limit that it can boost. So if someone else equips that, which in the campaign does happen at a certain point, they would legitimately get a strength boost. But he just he just gets a beard. He just gets, it's a a dwarven, beard. gets a beard. Dwarven kind. <laughs> he gets a dwarf Love beard. Nice. The reveal for that in the campaign was hilarious um, <laughs> because it doesn't just happen. Every morning, he gets to roll. Like after every long rest, he rolls for beard growth. Yeah. Oh it's a God. very important thing to him for a long time. Like that is Grog's whole arc for a second. Which I and, I loved like, it in this, but I understand how that could be very point, cool. Yeah, as yes. a joke, and it goes poorly. Yeah. Um, oh man, it's so good. As far yeah. as reactions <laughs> outside of campaign yeah. stuff goes, uh, I know I've talked about it literally on every single episode, but goddamn, I love the animation and cinematography in this show to the point mm-hmm. where I saw something I legitimately can't think of a more specific, like like a very specific time. I'm sure it's happened many times. But the conversation yep. between Vex and Vax in the tree, where they were doing the shifting of focus in a very mm-hmm. like classic camera work kind of a way, where mm-hmm. it's her and he's blurry, and then the camera shifts to him. But mm-hmm. it's not a cut. It just... The focus like a rack shifts, focus. Like a rack yeah. focus. And then it shifts back. like Such a very like specific like camera work technique to see an animation was really fun. Oh, it's so and it cool. It makes it yeah. feel to me like adult animation is not new. Adult animation has been around for a while. It makes it feel more adult. It's very cinematic. It, it it's shot like a like a movie or a TV show made for grown-ups just happens yeah. to be animated and I love that it's kind of elevating that like hey, animation isn't for kids. It's a medium and it's beautiful. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and right. again, like when they went into the into the temple, it's dark, all grainy, yeah, right? They the added all grain. that extra yeah. film grain for like a low light setting. Yeah, it's just like those little touches mm. immerse you in the cinematography of it. Yeah. Y- you want to talk about craft, the craft of when the light leaves Vex's eyes is soul crushing. Oh, and it hurt. Oh, my God. Like, hurt. like, yeah. You, the in, in regular right media, it. you Don't never lose. get that like feeling of real death like of of like that kind of tangible feeling and for whatever reason that idea of the reflection leaving her eye mm-hmm. was just so much that like my brain went no yeah no yeah and i just had like a minor minor panic yeah it was I great mean, even knowing exactly what's coming the the combination of how well everything was was portrayed that little detail like all of it it still hit me like a fucking dump truck Freight train, yeah. Uh, this episode should have been titled Good Bear. I don't know why it wasn't. Uh, Good Bear, many times. Uh, if I were titling the episodes, this episode would be titled Good Bear. Fucking Good Bear. Yeah, uh, Good Bear. As is said. Which is yeah. also, um, you know, a little... Josh, do you yes. remember if their meeting with the Slayer's take happens before the Briarwood Arch? Mm, well, okay, so they... There is out of like pre-stream stuff with the Slayers take. 
before the Briarwoods arc, which is kind of like okay. in this, where it's um, like Vex and Vax are like, oh, we have a history. But uh, no, they're our, us as viewers, our first introduction, I believe, is after the Briarwoods. It is there, at this point. There's a very direct connection. I don't know if it'll show up in the show, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to skirt around it. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Curious. It involves a fight, a, a specific entity. La 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 la. la, 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 la How about the three? La, you just throw your headphones la, la, off real la. quick. <laughs> no, uh, it, uh, um, a man with very uh, particular hands. Yeah. Okay. That happened first at in Whitestone, and then. In Vasselheim? I thought that was the whole reason. A man with very particular hands? Well, okay. Are, are we talking about Ripley? No. Oh, okay. No, we are talking about what's his fucking name? I've returned. Uh, we, we probably can't say enough to get on the same okay. page here in this situation. Okay. Yeah, uh, so we just text each other silently. I, I can't. I can't yes, text you. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that said, I, I really enjoyed this episode front to back. I mean, for so many fucking reasons. Uh, the combat is excellent. I love the. I love like the fish people, the fish, the violent fish offenders. In this yeah. is great. The jumping in in the moment. Uh, the sort of buddy. I always get like an interesting and fun buddy cop vibe from. Uh, Grog and um, Pike. Oh my God, Pike! It's so good every time. Yeah, uh, I just love it. I love it. And I, I, one of the things that I'm very cognizant of going into this is sort of like an overarching campaign thing. Is that Ashley had to miss like a lot of different sessions, and so I'm sure that one of the things that the show is improving upon is Pike's immediate prevalence in the narrative. Yeah. Um, versus when she was missing. Of course, like some of the things in the first season, it's very clear that's when she was gone. But I'm I'm interested to see what those changes look like, well, what, assuming that she's there more often than she's not. One thing that I find really but, cool is sometimes Matt would be like, and Pike says, oh, I'm going to stay behind and help the refugees or whatever. But a lot of the times Pike would come with, even if Ashley wasn't there, and then just not right. really do anything until Matt needed someone to move along the plot. Yeah, and then yeah. it'd be Somewhere like, "Oh, Yasha. and Pike right. <laughs> does this." So it's cool yeah. that Pike still gets to have trick. those moments, you know. Um, but while also being a fully so fledged character in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that uh, Pike's character is the biggest improvement from the campaign because uh, Ashley Johnson's incredible. But like Ashley Johnson, more, I think Fern in Campaign Three, which is currently. Uh, a thing is her first fully realized character. Yasha's incredible, but she's still on blind spot. She's still gone all the time. And Pike, same thing. Right. So she always feels like she's less developed than the other characters because she just has less hours. Whereas in this, like Pike is fully there and fully realized. Mm-hmm. She feels meaty. She feels as meaty as the rest of exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm loving it because Ashley Johnson's an incredible performer and she deserves to have that like same spotlight that everyone else gets. So yeah. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Uh, PJ, I got your message. Um, there's no way we can talk about that without spoilers. It's yeah. too it's too detailed and in depth. <laughs> it's too detailed and in depth. I, I 
and specific, I, I guess my point specific. is I'm curious if it'll even show up. I so in in campaign one or in season one, sorry, in season one, whenever they're all around the campfire, there is a reference to the first meeting having already happened. Um, they're okay. all talking about the craziest things they've killed, and ah. Vax's is, is that, and he says, yep. "I'll be back for you." And then the knife hits his head, and then he like falls okay. out the window, and he's like, "Oh, I'm sure." <laughs> yeah, right. So, what do you guys want to talk oh, about? Oh, he'll be back. Yeah, what do you what do you guys want to talk about? What does the other half of the podcast want to say? <laughs> I mean, it was a cool it was a cool show, but I mean, I have a rule: if you kill a character I like, I'm done. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's crazy. Game of Thrones ended at like episode. One, one. Oh, I didn't like that. Nine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Episode one. I was really attached to that one unnamed character who's like just joined she the Night's Watch. He's like, "What off. we doing out here?" <laughs> and then the White Walkers no! show up. <laughs> Brand I mean, push out the. Window, I mean, like, five not minutes Night's Watch number three. Night's Watch number three, and I was done. <laughs> so, what did I think? I genuinely. I genuinely don't know where this is headed now because it sort of feels like in light of this happening, if it sticks, which I don't think it will, I I feel like it happens so abruptly. It's like they start really playing up like their history and like the whole, the whole episode is about the two of them, really. Like most, the majority of the episode revolves around Vex and Vax and it, it it's enough to drive like to, to buy into like believe vex's drive to save his sister right or v- vax's drive yeah. to save yeah vex right. God, it's gonna be hard um yep um I-, I feel like it's enough to like buy into like okay cool he's not gonna want to do anything else until he figures out like how to get her back uh and so i feel like that der- that's the kind of like thing that derails a campaign a little bit you know or an adventure arc like you're like shit well fuck the vestiges i gotta get my sister back so that's going to become a thing uh maybe it's in the background for a little while while they're working on this but um i don't know i have to say i was right it's total side quest territory right like immediately they're like okay cool here's a little one shot we're off over here on the side get doing this tomb adventure and it turned into like a big thing but now i'm like I thought it would be like, oh, we went, we had a thing, and we got the vestige, and we came back, and what's the next one, and what the fuck do you want us to do? It's like, this is a whole thing that needs to be dealt with if, if she's not... you've got not... the Slayer's Take folks, you have to like, yeah, they're in there too on the side. Exactly, yeah. and, and so it's like, if they don't... If she's not revivable, if like they can't get her back, then there's like a funeral and mourning and, you know... I don't know. I, I know like my, my head cannon for like who plays what character when is so much that like I don't, I was like, I thought that her tiefling character was campaign two, but maybe it was campaign one. And I just like, it was confused about that. I don't know. So I'm, I'm lost. I guess all that to say, like, I'm a little sure. bit like, uns- like this is like the point where it's like, I can't really predict what's going to happen next. So. Mm-hmm. Leslie? Feelings. Just big feelings. Feelings. I get that. Cash in the tiefling? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't quite understand. I didn't have a sense of place. Like, they found a secret tomb in the room where they fought the fish folk, and then they went somewhere to, like, a room of tombs, and I'm like, 
Yeah, I'm mainly curious about where the other two characters are going. Um, Zara and, yeah. Because, like, they went through, or they casted Detect Magic and noticed the archway, but they didn't see the other one where our characters went through. So I'm curious to where the other door is leading them. Yeah, right. Right. I mean, yeah. I really like Wilfred L. So yes, yes, we should. <laughs> that is Ron Stoppable, ma'am. Um, <laughs> always true. At least we didn't get down Ooh. there to like Mario underwater wow. level music, you know, because I would have, <laughs> would have turned it off right then and there. <laughs> yeah. I did love the we get the little bit of reminiscent of Wipeout music. Oh, the surf got. rock? A hundred percent. I made a note of that too. Like yeah, the anachronisms yeah. in this show are so huh. well-timed. Huh. It's yes. great. Huh. Even like, it, I love that they're allowing references to things that like wouldn't be in the world like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, yeah. Calling Keyleth that. Yeah. Or like the, so in the campaign, whenever Matt says uh, Pervon Soul, Everybody's like Pervon, and it's the yeah. first time he's ever said it out loud. And he's like, "Oh no!" And they just dogpile on Matt for a while for making this stupid name. So to have <laughs> that at the campfire still was so incredible. <laughs> Pervon. There's been a lot I, of times remember... when Matt's been like, "I'm just going to name all of my NPCs Steve from now on because no matter what." <laughs> I remember that from when it gets brought up in Calamity with Brennan and they're like, I didn't, he's like, I didn't fucking name him. All right. Like, give me a break. Exactly. Oh, weren't we supposed to do this with Calamity? We didn't do this. With that's, that's a different idea, but I'm down for the general idea of doing like a two hour, you know, we, we were talking about like breaking it up into halves and like talking talk about, about it and like hanging out and watching it. Yeah, uh, I, I stopped watching yeah. when you said that. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll watch it you like, know, as a group. Uh, this this came up first, so this is first. But yes, I love the idea. But I want to. Uh, I know. Now, we get to I get into Brennan. big predictions because big predictions. that's the last episode <laughs> we're watching week. today. So it's what's true. the predictions for the, the season, day. for the show, for the series? Where do you go from here? Where do we go from here? I'm feeling it. Thank you. <laughs> Big predictions. Okay. Uh, well, I think that Thordak will be a problem. Probably. Uh, I'm curious to how they're going to split up the dragon fights because there's four of them, including the big bad. So, like, I'm curious if they're going to, like, defeat two this season and then next season defeat the other two because I know that this Chroma Conclave arc goes for two seasons. Um, or maybe they'll defeat three this season and then save the big one for the next season. I'm not sure. Um, I know that there's going to be uh, the. I know that they're going. Ah, B. <laughs> I know that they're going to collect a bunch of vestiges. Like, I play Legend of Zelda. I love the idea of going to different temples and collecting items to create one bigger thing. You know, that's my whole thing. So, <laughs> right. And how many episodes are there in this season? 12, 12. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I could be so bold, mm, the, you could be the exact number of vestiges. I don't think is known lore wise. And their goal isn't to get all of them. They just need enough to be able to fight. Like they're boons. Dragons. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm kind of in Leslie's camp in, in terms of predictions. Like, I do think that if if 
if the climax is going to build. So, okay, here's what I would do, right? If I was going to structure this as like acts, like I would say at the end of the season, by the end of the season, they've struck a significant blow against Thordak. And I think next season is like Thordak's rage, Thordak's revenge. Like, I feel like they don't take Thordak down. Maybe they kill as opposed to one, maybe all three of the dragons. And then they have to contend. They think Thordak is gone. And then next season is like, no motherfuckers back or whatever number of dragons it is that they fight. They think that they've dealt with the problem or struck a big enough blow that they have a sense of like needing to celebrate, you know, like, like that warrants, you know, celebrating. And then that's going to be dashed either in the cliffhanger or season one uh, or episode one of season three is going to be like, well, you thought, but so I, I, I mean, that's kind of what I would do, but yeah, I can understand that. I love that. I, I feel mm-hmm. like part of, part of the issue with me, like issuing a prediction right now isn't even like my understanding of the meta narrative. It is that this is such a strong cliffhanger. That's like the next thing is to resolve the cliffhanger. Like it has to be, resolving this moment and nothing else takes precedent over resolving the vet the death of vexalia so it's just hyper fixated yeah on same that thing that's why it's hard so, it's like i yeah i mean that's the thing that they're gonna do uh, right. unless they truly think she's gone and then it's like a thing where like we put her in the ground and we mourn mm-hmm. and we say our goodbyes and then she's gone for a couple episodes and then you're like oh wait we can get her back just got to go to the shadow fell or something you know it, it right you know m- I could see Matt playing it like that because I've watched like a ton the first time of Kurt Roll, but it definitely seems like his style to let things just kind of play out. The long game yeah. is definitely his. I mean, not to spoil Campaign Three, but there was a death that I think didn't get resolved for a couple sessions, and I feel like that is just his style, you know. So mm-hmm. totally, yeah. I mean, keep in mind. Woo! Seems like a blood hunter almost. Yeah. Like some kind of blood mage, maybe even. Um, yeah. I don't recall. I think the blood hunter was season two. Is hot. she hot? She's yeah, hot. she's hot. She's yeah. hot. She's hot. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm pretty sure blood mage um, from wild mount is the way that it's playing. Blood hunter or blood mage. Uh, yeah. Um, by the way, to all anybody listening to this particular short pour of words and whiskey. Is that, is that all correct? And, uh, yes. For anybody listening to this particular short pour of Words and Whiskey, um, Cross and PJ have let me know that they want you to send them all uh, Vex Zara, uh, Zara um, ship art. So all uh, Zarelia right. sh- ship art that you that, that you have, <laughs> they want you to send that to Email them it directly. Email it directly. Don't to... have enough storage on our email for that. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> If you got, if you got, right. if you drew them smooching, send it, send it, send it their way, you know. <laughs> but just the nastiest stuff, just like don't nasty. bother with all the like. <laughs> you oh, can't boy. post it anywhere else. Send it Email our way. It. <laughs> yeah, it's it like it. Not even just NSFW. Like it has to be OSF. NSFL, right? Only like, safe for words of whiskey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you couldn't post this shit anywhere else. I mean, oh this might God. be a crime. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere along the line, this is, this is a crime for sure. Damn. Um, Fandom runs deep. 
All right. Well, I want to give space for final thoughts. If we missed anything uh, from all of y'all. Any anything else? I love the show. I really love do. the show. It's a really good show. You guys about the show. I, I know it's this last is starting to get up. more in the in the space where I know all the major beats, but I can't really predict the progression anymore because of how shifted mm. things are. It still makes sense and it's still perfectly reminiscent of the campaign, but like it, it's kind of fun for me not knowing exactly how it's going to play out at this point. It's, it's the hallmarks of a good adaptation, right? Like that's the yeah. thing here is mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things that gets chronically overlooked when talking about the legend of Vox Machina, even the first season is this idea of like, even taking a book and adapting it to a movie or a TV show. And they've done it so well. And maybe that's because of the medium that it's going between, but I, man, it's, it's tough. It's so good. It's a, it's a testament too to having people in the writer's room and people at the production level that That care about the source material. Yeah. Yeah. That care about the source material, which it doesn't get deeper care than the people making this show, you know? So it's true. It's absolutely perfect for adaptation because if you think about the number one complaint that I hear with book adaptations or concern, I should say, is, oh, two thirds of this is inner monologue. (laughs) Right. So many great stories that are first person and it's like their thoughts, right? Or or the inner, you know, monologue of different characters, different POVs. By the nature of this medium, tabletop role-playing it's all external right? it's all spoken like all right. the details are there and everything is like role-play you know interactions between the characters the dialogue is already kind of written it just needs to be you know you know polished Spruced up a little cut. bit yeah, yeah exactly i mean if you look at some of the most well-beloved adaptations uh recently you've got this you've got arcane which isn't really an adaptation but Pulling from a specific IP. Uh, so far, one episode in, The Last of Us, even looking at, you know, the first couple seasons of Game of Thrones, whenever you have the creator, whoever made it, heavily involved, it turns out a little better. It's like you're missing intent. Yeah. Critically. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So having... Hey, critically. Having the people... Rollingly. Unintentional. Yeah. <laughs> intent plays critical, a critical role in this, uh, yes. adaptation. Intent oh plays a critical God. role in the adaptation process. Motherfuck. So thank you so much for listening to our show. Uh, I set him up, you knock him out. <laughs> be be sure to check out uh Tales of Kana, where you can hear all of our Don't lovely do voices. Don't do um it. And all of us goof around and can i give a quick pitch for like the story. campaign absolutely yeah. Yeah, do yeah, it. yeah okay so it takes place in, after the second age of a fantasy world and the second age was full of uh technological advancements that did away with the need for any magic everyone lost the ability to do magic innately and then a great uh calamity called the first wave happened and in the centuries following people begin to learn to do magic again. They, they start to wake up in the world and in them. And so we have four characters who are grappling with the ability to do strange arcane things 
And uh, they're also faced with corruption, lies, deceit, and uh, perhaps a greater calling. And so they uh, embark from a small like conclave, a, a, a small city, which is like one of the last vestiges of civilization in this world. And they set out on a journey to find themselves and uh, their missing family members. So tune in because it's really exciting. Can I point something out so- real quick? good how of course <laughs> how did you manage to in your campaign description use the words calamity vestige and conclave <laughs> i'm in mean, top of mind baby top of mind it's it's top relatable of mind. It's and immediate. also you know it's it's uh it's part of the zeitgeist immediate. you know it's yeah, all yeah, there right. sure. none of it's new <laughs> shoulders of giants <laughs> and so on and so forth right <laughs> yeah uh, right. Absolutely. We we obviously are so excited to have Catacomb Party as a part of the Atomic Pylon uh, Media Network. And it is, you know, truthfully, it is the only other show that is publishing actively at the moment. So it is so cool to have you guys on this other show that we publish. Um, we've got so many others that are going to be coming out very soon uh, across across the network uh, over the next couple of months. But it is, man, it's it's so great. And Catacomb Party is like, my personal passion product of like where I put most of my time week to week. Yeah. It's, it's yes. I've brought everyone in to my, <laughs> as we all do, cool. as we all do, we all work so fucking hard on this. And it's just like, no, we love you. We would give love it, it if you gave it a listen. Yeah. Just give it a listen. It's not as long yeah. as critical role. Like episodes Hella are about short, an hour maybe. to an hour and a half on average. Yeah. yeah. Some of them are right. like 45 minutes. Yeah. We've just got a couple it. of, couple of just, just some it. hours come on give it on. give it a go you it. can come listen on. to the entire length of well, what campaign one is and yeah just as on. mentioned at the top of the episode 20 hours at most yeah um Probably so with hours. that with next like? month i mean like actually not next month next week on words and whiskey short pours we're gonna be talking about the next three episodes it's gonna be part two of season two uh that's kind of the game plan in addition uh a week after this you're gonna have the thief of always which is my favorite book of all time that pj and i are going to chat about uh, we haven't done it yet but it is my favorite book and i just I'm finished it it's very very good to talk about it um so you're all going to get that too as a bonus little treat beyond that you can find all of our links all of our websites everything else like that inside of the show notes you can see links to obviously catacomb party uh as well as anything else that is on the atomic pylon media network and if for whatever reason that doesn't work and you want to track us down, you can find us at Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, and Facebook. If you still use Facebook after the meta purge, uh, <laughs> as well as you can email us all of that angry mail that we talked about earlier, all that like purging hateful mail and thoughts on all these different things, as well as that fan art that we talked about uh, yeah. at Words and Whiskey Show on at gmail.com. You can join us at patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey to hop into the conversation for this as well as all the book series that we cover on the main show next so. week i'll be drinking everclear and don't forget open D. <laughs>